Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we are qualified London Blue Badge Tourist Guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London podcast and on our websites guideemily.com and alexlacy.com for information about our upcoming virtual tours as well as what the Blue Badge Guiding Qualification is all about. Yay, you got through it. <laughs> I didn't mess up this week. <laughs> hey. How are you doing, Miss Thing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm really well, thanks. I mean, yeah, still here. Nothing changes. <laughs> oh, that's it. You know, I it is just week after week it's very yeah. samey isn't it I spoke to my dad on the phone earlier and both of us were like what's your news and we were like nothing much <laughs> nothing going on <laughs> literally nothing happening so God. yeah it is what it is how you doing though you okay yeah I'm well I'm Good. well I've been enjoying your global tea breaks thank you very much thank you very much um you've got a whole week of guests this week I'm phoning in this week I've got something every day <laughs> uh it's great but yeah I'm enjoying them it's giving me a focus so that's nice and uh, yeah lots of people coming along so there we go nice been out going for little walks and things around I've seen yes yeah I've been going for quite a few walks around Southwark Park just doing lap after lap because it's well it's the closest park to both of us actually isn't it um just trying to get a bit of exercise in but the weather again has been a bit bit pants but a bit pants uh, you just can't stay in the whole day can you it's just uh well I don't know I'm making quite a good sport of it actually I think I'd win the gold in the staying at home Olympics. <laughs> at least you've got stairs. So at least you can do a bit, a bit of up and down work. <laughs> Once a day, yeah. <laughs> Fab. Well, listen, hello to everybody who's coming back to listen again this week. Thanks for coming back. Yeah. Thank you. We got some great comments about our Darwin episode with, uh, with Aaron last week. You were loving it. Oh, um, people loved him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what a great, um, yeah fount of knowledge he is um, i know could you believe he named a starfish was it yeah I yeah know. man yeah. but there we go crazy name starfish the name just doesn't always stuck for some of us so no I, I usually call them jeff or henry or something but uh, i mean why wouldn't you i mean you know stick with what you know <laughs> <laughs> So, um, at the end of last week's episode, we picked our podcast pedestals, um, which was a tough one because there were so many good options and mm. some quite crucial things in there. Um, can you remind me, and we probably should mention, if we have any new listeners, I know we, we're getting some new listeners, what the podcast pedestal is. Um, at the end of each week, uh, once we've told the story we're going to tell, we pick two of the most important bits of the story, crux points, influences whatever they might be mm. and we give it up to you to vote on basically it's a popularity contest between me and emily <laughs> um yeah to vote uh on, on which you think should top the pedestal for that week in terms of being a kind of yeah like a flagship moment or thing for the person or event that we've been talking about yes and we've been pretty neck and neck you know pretty close yeah. throughout the whole competition actually there's only been a few occasions where you've jumped in front maybe two two little slots i'm jumping in front, in front to save you it's like i'm jumping in front of a of a car or something yeah I'm that's not you. what it is at all you're <laughs> leaping ahead and forgetting i even exist well 
<laughs> Maybe. What, what's the score at the minute? Oh, it's. I think it's eight seven to you. To me, surely not. Oh, oh yes, I know. How lovely. Well, um, what were the options last week that people could pick from? So my fabulous option was the Mockingbird because yep. Aaron was telling us how crucial it was that when Charles Darwin went on his big voyage, he was noticing as he went from island to island how the Mockingbirds, they were incredibly different. And this could be just um, in terms of the colour um, or perhaps the length of their beak or their wings. And so he started to notice that the birds had to adapt to whatever food, whatever environment they had to deal with on each island. Mm. So that was a pretty, you know, pretty important step for evolution. So I went for the brilliant mockingbird. You did the brilliant mockingbird, but I went for the even brillianter, um, Alfred Russell Wallace, who is the chap that was, was he? sort of kind of Darwin's competition a little bit. He'd done his own research into um, evolution and he had been basically kind of um, setting about writing his own book and it took somebody else to go and nudge Darwin because Darwin had got all his research and was then sitting at home writing papers on barnacles and random stuff like that and kind of not really bothering and someone went and gave him a nudge and went oi uh, you really need to publish this because otherwise you're going to be beaten to the uh, post uh, and so he did so Alfred Russell Wallace being the kind of the catalyst that got him uh, into uh, yeah kind of put it put it rocket up in basically and made him publish his uh, his work so I have the results here. I am the the the, the numbers keeper. Yes. And last week it was really close, wasn't it? Um, it Maybe was really close. Eight or nine votes in it, or something like that. Yeah, it was super duper close. Um, yeah, and I just want to, you know, put it out there that, you know, I am pretty trusting letting you count the numbers. You are stupidly so probably. Yes, uh, I think we should do a. <laughs> we should change that. I think it should be my turn soon well, to count the numbers. If you thought last week was close, this week is much more closer. Oh God, that scares me. There's three points in it. <gasps> Just three points. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so I could have got family members to vote on my side. I mean, that's you know, there's me saying that I might have failed this. I on your won. poll, you were one point lagging. On my poll, we were neck and neck. Oh my God! And what so about it's the on joint the poll? poll and the and the email votes. Um, oh my God! It came down to it. Um, slippery so pole it's 59 to 56 <gasps> yeah which way do you think it went oh god <laughs> by the look I, on your face i, I think it's gone it. your way it has gone my oh way. this is three points i mean if it was 30 points then you know i could understand but three, three points. points it's we we both won i'm really sorry you're not sorry look at you Look at you. Oh, right. So it's nine seven. Yes, it is nine seven. Don't Mm. worry, I believe in you. You're gonna bring it back. I'm gonna bring it back today. I tell you, well, I am excited about the topic today. Yes. Although I am excited about the topic every week. Um but I'm really gonna think about I'm really gonna think about the podcast pedestal. Um during during the conversation because I forget about it all the time until the end. Then <laughs> I'm the like, end oh, God, it. bloody hell, Mockingbird. <laughs> well, listen, this week um, we we decided to go for something. So it landed in Bloomsbury, we should say, which hilariously is exactly where it landed the week before. Yeah. Um, and kind of perfect because we've been looking for a way to sort of crowbar in to somewhere. Um, the, the Sutton Who, fine, because of course this week the dig has come out on Netflix. Have you seen it? I have seen it. What do you think of it? We'll do a little. We'll do a little uh, a film review as well. A film review. Yeah. Maybe we'll I... do a film review at the end. Let's do it at the end. Let's do it at the end. Okay. All right. We'll do it at the end. Plan. So the dig talks about the discovery of this amazing cache of treasures. Um, it's known as the Sutton Who find. Sutton Who. Who? Um, out in um, in Suffolk on the kind of, if you don't know uh, the UK, if you look at a map of the UK, it's the big lumpy bit on the right-hand side. That is Suffolk and Norfolk, so it's the bottom bit of that. Good um, geological knowledge. I know, I am, uh, you know, a, a, an amazing geographer. Uh, <laughs> never forget. Yeah. <laughs> it's on the lumpy bit, <laughs> uh, the sticky out <laughs> bit. Um, yeah, and so uh, the, the story of, of the dig, it, it tells the story of um, this find being excavated, being dug up, and actually the fact that it is... Um, was and remains really one of the most 
important finds in understanding the medieval age in better depth. Crikey. So you and I, we guide the British Museum quite a lot. Mm. Do you take people to the Sutton Who find when you're there? I do. It's a bit hard not to, really. I it's... mean, it really is. It's sort of the the jewel in the crown isn't it it's just got everything you could easily spend you know an hour just on the yeah. on that particular find itself because as you say it was just uh just a hoard a huge hoard yeah it is it is an incredible room when you go oh, it's kind of sort of two rooms isn't it really mm. together um in the british museum and it's it's so the stuff that they found is so incredible in terms of the amount of, of of bits that they found, the amazing workmanship of it. Um, mm. You've got to think that the, the, all of the stuff that they found, we're going to come on to exactly what they found in a minute, comes from, they estimate around the 600 AD mark, maybe a little bit later, maybe 650-ish, 6 to 650 AD, um, which is sat bang in the middle of what we know rather sort of rubbishly as the Dark Ages, mm. meaning... Not much went on then. No. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, it was a bit rubbish. And it's probably more to the, the point that we don't really have that much written down about it. We don't know that much about it. And so when the Sutton Who find was um, discovered, um, it really kind of turned this understanding of the Dark Ages on its head. Because everyone was going, oh, Dark Ages, you know, we went back from being sort of this fabulous Roman settlement with all the stuff going on to basically, you know, sleeping in ditches and, you know, eating mud and, and all that kind of thing, which of course isn't actually true. There's a lot of really amazing stuff going on in that period of time. So it's, it's medieval, it's, it's dark ages. It's, um, it's Anglo-Saxon pretty, pretty uh, specifically. Um, and to go back to kind of how it was found, and this is where the film picks up this story of a widow um, called Edith Pretty. Now she's quite an interesting character, actually. They touched on it briefly in the uh, the film, but uh, you know, not not so much. She's um, so she's a widow. We know that much. Mm. And she buys the estate of Sutton Who out in Suffolk with her husband. Um, she got married to him. She she's, she had such an incredible um, upbringing. She was really lucky in that during her youth, she had travelled really widely with her dad. She'd gone to uh, Egypt and all sorts of places and had actually um, sort of dabbled a little bit in archaeology. And, and all of this, these travels to Egypt and, um, and other amazing places across Europe had really given her a love for history and a love for archaeology. Um, and she married her husband in 1926-ish uh, and they moved to Suffolk to the Sutton Hoo estate. And, you know, they're, obviously they're from money. They've got pretty decent money they're able to afford an estate and staff and all that kind of thing um but rather tragically she was widowed well he was, he was quite young actually she was um uh, he left he left her um in Sutton Hoo and she you know she was embedded in there so she wasn't going to move anywhere mm. and one thing in particular that she loved is all the way across the land that they had and she could literally you know see it from the house were all of these barrows which are basically sort of mounds in the earth um, in varying sizes and varying shapes depending on kind of which era they're from um, and it's something that she knew they were burial tombs that there might be stuff in there and it had always kind of piqued her curiosity a little bit and she always wondered what was in there um, now they knew that what happened a lot over the years and, and actually do you know where you can see barrows today if anybody wanted to see some well you can uh, take a little trip over to Stonehenge if you want to if you want to go over to the Salisbury Plain, you'll see quite a few barrows around there. About 350, I think. <laughs> Something in that region. Um, well, she had 18 or so on her land alone. So it's a huge amount. Um, and one thing that happened over many, many years is that there'd been all sorts of grave robbing. Now, of course, you know, you hear about it in Egypt and places like that where um, they know that there's stuff down there. They know there's gold and gems and goodness knows what. So people break in and they start to, you know, rob the tombs of stuff, which is a real shame because it means it's not you know, guarded for posterity. And this is what's happened in Barrows across the UK too. What's really interesting about Sutton Who is that we're talking about early to mid 600s. And it's around this period of time, probably about 650, possibly edging towards 700, where um, the practice of burying your dead with stuff kind of goes away. It stops. So they reckon that Sutton Who was possibly one of the last burials mm. where 
somebody of importance has been buried with stuff because after this point christianity is on the rise um and people are then buried in tombs in churches and graveyards that kind of thing so it's quite an interesting little section of history so anyway so edith um, pretty um is out there in the countryside she um decides that she wants to start digging up these uh, these barrows and she gets in touch with a guy um called basil brown now this is quite interesting so the film does mention him and he's a major major character in it but for an awfully long time basil brown kind of hadn't been recognized um in the find as it was he was not um somebody who had gone and studied archaeology he was a self-taught archaeologist i mean he was amazing don't get me wrong he knew his stuff but he didn't have any letters after his name he didn't have any kind of you know um bit of paper from a an important university so he was sort of looked down on a little bit and this is why when the dig when they started to find things and the dig got bigger that it was taken away from him as the sort of the head guy if you like so she has all the different barrows and they number them up so they know where they're looking at um now the film would have you believe that she had sort of got this drawing to one particular barrow that was bigger than the others and mm. that she had a bit of a sense of it now there is a little bit of truth in that because and there's we're talking around the six, uh, six no we're not we're talking about the 1930s <laughs> what are we talking about who knows um and there's quite a lot of you know women of wealth often uh, they get quite into the occult um in this period of time and they you know they can go and sort of see spiritual people and they've got the money to be able to afford that it's quite a popular thing and um it's believed that edith pretty did you know visit the odds kind of um specialist occultist kind of thing just as a sort of interest really but it is also said that she did have a vision of a sort of um like a parade uh some sort of ancient um group of people coming through the land between the barrows she saw she believed she saw the ghosts of the of, of these people coming through the land so she she believed that there was something down there and and I'm, su I'm surprised that they didn't show that in the movie, actually, that because I great, think that that would, have been, that would have been pretty epic, especially if it was quite misty and, you know, the yeah. sun wasn't really up. And, yeah, so I'm surprised that they, they didn't show that. It would that. have been good. It would have been good. Um, but, yeah, so she, she had the sense that there was something down there. Um, and when Basil Brown started, you know, the, he did say, look, there's a, there's a high chance we're not going to find anything because a lot of these barrows um, are plundered. People go in, you know, a couple of hundred years ago maybe they've gone in they've taken everything out so we might find the remnants of stuff but we probably chances are that there's not going to be that much left for us to see so they started out with um one particular barrow and he was totally right there was nothing there well there had been stuff there but it was all gone and blah blah, blah. so they started on a second barrow and this one was slightly different and this is where they started to think oh actually we might be onto something here they found a ship now this is not the ship there were two ships at Sutton Hoo, one bigger, one smaller. And so this, this second barrow, in fact, barrow number three or number four, um, that they, uh, I think it was number three, um, they found this ship in there. And again, it had been plundered. So there was no, there was, there was you know, bits and scraps of, of, of things that had been there, but essentially, you know, nothing um, of value, but the ship was there. So they were like, oh, well, the, you know, this is, this is looking promising. And they, you know, they stopped for the winter because these, it was kind of like a, almost a season, really. You want to do it in the summer, don't you, when you're not going to get completely soaked through. And um, in 1939, she asked him to come back. She said, look, come back next year and, and let's keep going. So they did. And this is when they started on the very famous Barrow One or Mound One. And they dug down and this had also been attacked by grave robbers. But crucially, they had dug in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. They had got very close, but they had missed the major stuff. Probably because, and they mentioned this a bit in the film, that the, the earth had shifted mm. and they, the centre wasn't quite where they thought it was. So as they dug down, they found, they started to find this incredible ship. Um, it's about 80 feet long, so it's a pretty big old it's you know, ship. It's gigantic, I mean, isn't it? enormous. And bearing in mind, they're not really near any rivers. The coast is not far, but it's not also not really not close enough for you to be able to just pull a boat up onto the side so mm -hmm. what however this boat has got here it has been carried over the land and it's also up quite a, a high bit as well so it's been mm -hmm. carried up onto a pretty prominent peak um now the boat and again in the film the dig 
it looks like they made it look very very similar to how it looks in the pictures mm. and you think that that's the wood of the ship actually there was no wood there the wood had disintegrated what was there were the rivets and then the outline in the earth of where the wood had originally been mm. so there's actually no physical, physical ship whole ship there anymore yeah so the rivets and very cleverly basil brown when he first started discovering them um decided actually i'm not i'm not going to remove these i'm just going to i'm going to leave them where they are um because if he had it done the whole thing probably would have just all you know collapsed so this is clearly a guy who knows his stuff mm. <clears throat> so um yeah he um excavates the whole lot and then they find this chamber in the middle of it which is absolutely jam-packed full of artifacts um somewhere in the region of 260 separate items Gosh. which is a huge haul huge as they start to realise that this is actually uh, pretty important and pretty big. And they managed to date it, um, as I mentioned, to around the 600s. Now, there's a bit of a theory about who it might be. We don't know for definite. Um, we do think that it was probably um, a very important um, sort of king of mm. the eastern part uh, of England called Raidwald. But you want to spell it is R and then the A and the E smashed together. Uh, D-W-A-L-D. Raidwald is how I'm going to pronounce it. It's probably completely wrong. But anyway, um, and his reign coincides with the, the dates of this Sutton Hoo treasure. He was the king of East Anglia. So that big lump on the side. Now, what's really interesting is they don't find any human remains in the boat. Um, there are two schools of thought on this. There may well have been a body in there he might have been buried in the ship um but there is uh, they, they think that the ground uh may that the chemicals and the nutrients in the ground may have completely disintegrated the body but it's also pointed out that in another tomb nearby in fact i think the one with the other one with the boat there is a body and they found other barrows with human remains in and later in the 90s they actually find another one with a soldier in armor and a horse so there's two schools of thought that either he wasn't buried there at all or he was, and the whole body was just disintegrated. disintegrated. But we d we don't know which way it went. Basically, mm. there is uh, there's sort of evidence that there might um, sort of chemicals that might have been a body there, but that also could have come from something being placed in the tomb as well. So it, it's it's a little bit you know whatever. Mm. You would think the latter. I mean, the amount of things that are in there just to kind of to haul up a ship and all of those belongings without the idea of a burial. Mm. Of, an, of a person yeah but don't forget there's another 17 barrows around mm. and they haven't excavated them all yet they mm. haven't done that they've left a chunk because they want to leave some for future um archaeologists god that's so exciting is, isn't it to think that you know who knows what else is down there you would think you would just go hell for leather and say we're taking the lot up but no they they, they excavated um, a few then in the 1990s um, more excavation happened and in fact I think bits and pieces happened all the way from the 40s up until uh, the 90s and then they haven't done anything more but there are still barrows there that mm. they're going to leave for future archaeologists who can then come along with you know whatever newfangled bits of kit and equipment and blah blah, blah and have another look so it's quite I quite like that of we've loved doing this this is incredible but we realize other people want to do this as well mm. it must be pretty secure up there because there must be a few people that you know were thinking right you know let's get our shovels out yeah head over to head over to suffolk yeah i mean it is it is on private ground but it, that mm. is something they worried about when they were excavating so when they were doing uh, all of the digging up of all this stuff they actually worked through the day and through the night mm. um they always had somebody on site because they uh, were worried exactly about that that you know the news was getting out that something had been found and they didn't want um night hawkers who are the people who kind of come in under the cover of darkness and you know hawk stuff out um that, that they would come in and, and and whip it all so yeah mm. that, that was a worry but one of the most incredible things they found so you you see a little bit of in the film they find this amazing big silver platter this kind of bowl like plate type thing which is just beautiful um but the real standout piece of the entire uh, collection is the helmet the Sutton Ooh, who that helmets oh it's a good one now, it's quite interesting because the helmet was not found in one piece. It was found broken into pieces, but crucially not crushed. And this is where they think that 
the tomb construction itself must have been really, really good because they think that um, it, because it, of course, the, you know, tombs, graves, etc. They they will collapse in as things, you know, rot, settle down, blah, blah, blah. But the, the tomb for this one, they think it would have stayed up a really long time so that the um, helmet was allowed to rust. And then when the tomb finally came in, it broke it apart rather than it hadn't rusted, the tomb comes down on it and it bends the whole thing out of shape. Mm -hmm. So rather than it just being completely wonky, it just broke it apart, which means they could then put it back together, which is really quite handy. Um, it is an amazing bit of kit. It's a full helmet. It's There's a face shield and everything. There's sort of, I can kind of Sherlock Holmesy style ear flaps that goes down oh, the side of the ear and down the back so of the neck. So much detail, isn't there? It's incredible for detail. And one of my favourite bits about it, it's got a little moustache. Mm. And the moustache is part of... Um, it's been really hard to do this uh, <laughs> over a podcast, so we will put up a picture uh, to show you. But the, the moustache on the mask is the tail of a dragon. The body of the dragon then goes up the nose and onto the bridge, uh, well, sort of up into middle forehead. And then the wings of the dragon are eyebrows that go over the top. And then where the dragon's head is pointing up towards the top of your head, another dragon's head comes over the back of your head and meets it. So they're head to head kind of in the middle of your forehead. And it is the detail on it is out of this world. I love it. I'm going to just show Emily a picture. I know she knows it, but. I'm oh, just it's beautiful. It's there. also got like little red gems along yeah, the side, isn't it? Yeah. It's absolutely yes. stunning. And this, I mean, the whole face is covered, the chin, the cheeks, mm. everything apart from the eyes. So it's proper, you know, battle style stuff. But of course, again, it's so intricate. It wouldn't be for battle. It would be for uh, for show, you know, a show of wealth, a show of importance, which is then why it's been buried with who we think is Raidworld in this ship. Um, what they did is they made a, a recreation of the, uh, the helmet. Um, they put the bits back together that they could put back together. There's a few little gaps in this, that and the other. But as well, all around the side, um, everything is, um, th there are images and pictures on every single panel going all the way around it, which is made by a technique called repoussé, where basically you sort of push the, um, the, the image out from the other side and you sort of push it through into the metal. And again, incredibly de detailed, incredibly delicate. Mm. So they have made two copies of this. One is up at... Um, Sutton Hoo if you go and visit and one is in the British Museum so you can see exactly how it would have been and part of that was for you know historic evidence but also part of it was they wanted to see if it was an effective helmet if you could wear mm. it if it would actually protect you and all that kind of thing so it's just wonderful to see so we'll put up some pictures of that this week oh, definitely and Aaron I don't know if you remember last week he said that he he tried on yeah. the replica didn't he yeah he sent me a picture <gasps> wow. of it. Put that picture up as well yeah I'll um, send that to me I'll put it up yeah, he tried up the uh, the replica on uh, the one at Sutton Hoo, I believe, um, which is incredible. Now, there is so much. I mean, we could spend hours talking about everything that mm. was found in the ship. What they did is they reburied the ship where it was. Like I say, the, the wood is gone. So you've got the rivets and you have the outline of everything. So they they covered it over and they've reburied that. But all of the, um, the, the artefacts came to the British Museum. Now, Edith had quite a lot of resistance to this a lot of people believed that it should stay in Suffolk mm. she was very um uh, impassioned by the fact that immediately she said it's got to go to the British Museum this is you know uh, there's no question this is where it needs to be but she had a bit of a fight on her hands um whenever finds are found like this particularly if there are uh, human remains as well there's a coroner's report that needs to happen now this is where things get tricky because any treasure that is found that it's believed was buried with the the importance of, or the the intent to protect it and then dig it up and reclaim it that all belongs to the crown if treasures have been buried with the intent of being buried and being left there then they are they belong to the person who is the landowner so this is a court case that she had to go through. It's the coroner's thing. And, and it actually went to a jury and the jury had to decide whether or not they thought that the burial was intentional to be buried there and left or whether it was buried to be protected and then re, you know, re dug up and, and reused again. And the jury came down on the side of Edith. So buried and then uh, left there. Mm. 
the Crown very nearly launched a counter argument to that because they kind of wanted to get their hands on it. Yeah. So they very, very nearly launched a counterclaim to the fact that it, 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 people had been buried it there, but actually they were going to come back and, and reclaim it. I think we can pretty much agree that you're not going to come and reclaim a boat that you've dragged up a hill. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, so uh, you know, I think she's pretty much in the right. And it, so it belonged to her and she gave it to the British Museum. And this is still to this day, the biggest and most important gift that they have ever received. And they do mention that in the film, actually. Um, she does say that and I think that was a very sort of pointed thing of let's let's mm. make it um but yeah still to this day and it's also as I mentioned at the start very very important for understanding um the dark ages better and understanding the artistry and the and the sort of thing now what's quite interesting with Raidwald as well is that he is an Anglo-Saxon king from he's the king of East Anglia but he actually uh, converted to Christianity really weirdly so there's, there's a bit of an argument to say, well, it can't be Redwald because he had converted to Christianity and then therefore he would have been buried in a cemetery, in a church, that kind of thing. However, at the very start of all this, when everything's going on and, and you've, got, you've got the original sort of Anglo-Saxon beliefs and you've got Christianity coming in, and this is sort of what happened with the Romans as well, they're often very happy to have both living side by side and they mm. take on board the beliefs of one thing and then the beliefs of the other and they kind of have them together so it's totally not outside the realm of comprehension that even though Raidwald had converted to Christianity that he still might do the kind of customs and traditions that he was used to yeah completely and that's why because in there you've got images uh of pagan worship mm -hmm. and also uh images which relate to christian worship i yeah. guess it's just to kind of um you know <laughs> not a hundred percent sure which way i'll go <laughs> yeah. yeah you know hedge your bets yeah <laughs> you don't know which way you're gonna go you might as well uh yeah stake a little bit of money on both and see what happens yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so it's, um, you can now visit Sutton Hoo. You've got the, you know, the, there's an amazing um, visitor centre and, and museum and everything there. But the British Museum is where the majority of the find is. Mm, um, and it's free. It's free. And it's incredible. It is. Um, and I, actually, do you know, I think that's one of the things I'd, I'd most like to do when all of this is up. I want to go and have a good old look at the Sutton Hoo helmet. Oh, me I haven't too. kind of gone and done it for myself for a while. I've taken guests there. Mm. And I've been explaining while they've been looking. And actually, what I want to do is spend 10 minutes just peering at it like a freak and just yeah that's true things in the cabinets which i don't normally get to look at because normally people are right we've done that bit let's go let's go to this bit yeah and they want the highlights so i'm actually quite up for it for going and having a proper rummage and it is the as you say that the detail the craftsmanship you know the there's like a little belt buckle there's yeah. a Purse shoulder clasps as well, which are made of gold. Oh, I mean, yeah. you know, the intricacy is insane. So these gold shoulder clasps, which would have held up probably tunics or robes mm. or animal skins or something like that. Um, and it's all in there because there was this mm. belief that you needed all of these artifacts in for you know for the transition into the other realm, the afterlife, mm. whatever you want to call it. And actually, in in the the tomb, it was they were sort of lined up. You had all the the stuff that you need cooking pots and buckets and all that mm. kind of stuff on one side armory clothing weapons and the armory yeah mm. so you had they even sort of separated it out on either side of the tomb to figure out kind of you know these are the bits he'll need for practical stuff and these are the bits he might need for a bit of fighting and bits and we're also just uh bunging a little bit of bling as well because yeah. he was a good good guy I mean, you know. <laughs> and you never know he might get invited to a party exactly and let's go to have a, a purse full of coins <laughs> yeah yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, we should go. Just let me take in. it all in. <laughs> please, God, please, British Museum, please let people in. Yeah. Um, so the film came out on Friday um, mm. of last week um, and stars Ray Fiennes and Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan plays um, Edith uh, Pretty and Ray Fiennes plays Basil Brown. And like I mentioned, in fact, there's a bit in the, in the film where she does say to him, I've, I've asked them to make sure that you are credited with it and mm. that didn't happen he didn't get credited mm. um i have a, a guidebook on the sutton who find and he is in there and that's the british museum book i mean it, it's at most five years old so i don't know at what point he started kind of being remembered in this but he is now spoken about and which is i think then a great thing for for that to him to be the major part of the film 
Um, but yeah, sadly, for a long time, he wasn't. And then we have as well um, a few other characters. We've got um, there's another female archaeologist who comes in who is played by Lily James, who was a real female archaeologist. Um, and we've also got her love interest, who was not real. They've added that in, a bit of a love interest thing. Mm. Uh, so, okay, so what did you think of the film? See, I, I thought there were moments that, you know, really got to me. And Edith's story, because she was, you know, incredibly unwell, um, and how important the dig was to her, that really, really came across. For me, I wanted to see more of the artefacts um, and I, you know, I know, I feel like I know them pretty well, but for someone who hasn't been to the British Museum and researched those artifacts, I personally don't know if they would have got a clear understanding of how amazing these beautiful pieces are. Um, so that was my only thing. They didn't. They didn't mention the helmet. It's a real oversight because that is the kind of the, the headline piece of the yeah of the collection. And there was like a very quick kind of montage of, as you say, showing the dish and showing this and a little coin. But I mean, I guess it's probably quite hard to make replicas of them, but they probably had a budget to do it. What am I saying? <laughs> um, so I just wanted a little bit of camera time on the pieces themselves. Yeah, I think there wasn't we got a, no, a bit too, a bit lost in the love story, mm. but a very good film. Nevertheless. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was, you know, it was gentle. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the story of Edith herself was, was really quite sad. And I, I don't know to what extent, I haven't looked into what extent the, the story of her brother is going off to fight in the RAF. I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was ill and she, um, she did die before, I believe, before they even went on show. Because when the, the pieces went down to London, it was just as war was being declared. So they went to the British Museum. They were there for two weeks and then they were taken out and stored in uh, the London tube system in the tunnels. Mm. of Aldwych tube station which is um, a disused station um, so often used for filming and for looking after things like a lot of the stuff from the British Museum went into tunnels there so mm. as far as I'm aware she died before it was even ever really on show at the British Museum which is really sad, mm, um, sad. but yeah that's, that is the way it is but I would definitely say if anyone hasn't seen the movie to watch it because it gives you a great understanding of the visual of when they found that ship. Because Alex, as you said, they did that really well, showing yeah. you the kind of the definition and how big it would have been. That came across very, very well, I thought. Yeah. And I just, I'm with you. I wanted more of the of the find because it is so important. And actually, one thing I forgot to mention is that um, there was a um, an old English story poem called Beowulf which you might have heard of Mm. um, which is from the dark ages it's from well the date is disputed but around sort of 700 ish we think and the story tells of all these different things about you know amazing metalwork and 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 celebrations and people being buried with ships and all this sort of stuff and for a long time people thought oh that 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 was just um sort of novels or you know um fantasy being written by these people they didn't actually have any of that and so when they found the Sutton Hoo um treasure trove they realized actually the stuff in Beowulf is probably accurate to what was happening yeah so suddenly Beowulf becomes a much more kind of um authentic rendering of history I guess Mm. like um which is quite interesting but yeah I think I'm with you I I could have done without the love story didn't need that Mm. Didn't need that at all. Um, that's Hollywood, though, and they've always got to put a love story in. Yes, and I understand, you know, you've got to kind of have a bit, you've got to get to know the characters and you've yeah. got to kind of um, trust them in a movie like that and kind I of get to know their story. I thought very good, actually. I thought he was very good at conveying He Barbara was Brown very and, good. And, and a guy who, you know, the the, um, the accent was brilliant. Um, mm. My grandma was from Norfolk, and it reminded me a little bit of... Oh, um, really? A twinge of, of her accent. Um and I like the fact that, you know, he portrayed him as, by all reports um, of Basil Brown, he was a very sort of gentle, mm. um, quite generous guy in mm. his, uh, the way that he treated other people um, and confident in what he knew. You know, he knew his stuff. He'd not been trained, pr- let's say, officially, professionally. Mm. He had done all of his training on site, which I think is fantastic because it means I, I, you know you don't always need a degree for these things you need to be on site hands-on and that's where he got it. and so he seemed to be confident in that knowledge confident in what he was doing um 
But at the same time, there is a report that, that when they handed over the dig to uh, the organisation who came in and, and, and took it over, that Basil Brown was very generous with that. And he, you know, he must have been bitterly disappointed. Mm. But they, he has a diary entry where he says, well, do you know what? I'm, it's kind of OK, because at least then I don't have to be, you know, I, I'm not then responsible for it. And and there, you know, if anything goes wrong, I'm kind of, you know, it's not so much of a problem. And it's a really, really generous entry where he kind of just goes, you know what? I, I, I get it. And I think that's a really quite lovely, you know, way to be. And I think he portrayed that very well. He did, yeah. He was very sympathetic in the connection with him and Edith's son. I don't know, obviously, if that was if that was real, but um, yeah, I'd probably give it a six and a half out of ten. Okay, generous. Yeah, I'd probably be up at a seven. I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah nice. Say more bling, less love yeah. story. Yeah, but but know, very very good. Yeah, there was a lot to like about it. So. Yeah, definitely. So that's that's uh, Alex and Emily's film review club. <laughs> <laughs> that was very very good, Alex. Even next yeah, week, he was that... trying to explain Inception. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God, can you imagine? <gasps> oh, I just spent ten minutes drooling over DiCaprio. Um, would you? Okay. I would. Yeah. yeah fair enough. Yeah, I would. I heard you on your uh, global tea break saying that you don't like Orlando Bloom. Well, but that's another story. We don't need to go in that now. <laughs> I didn't say I didn't like him. Anyway, let's move on. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Mayo. I've got the film bit sorted. We don't need to do that. <laughs> oh, God. Podcast Pedestal. So there we go. Right. Um, we're at the end of the main bit. So Podcast Pedestal time. What are you going for? <laughs> Gosh, um, I mean, it's quite obvious to go for the helmet, isn't it? Um, yeah. But I also kind of, I'm also edging towards the first rivet. Ooh. Okay. That got a better reaction. I'm going to go for the first <laughs> rivet. Is that because I want to do the other one? <laughs> oh, possibly so, actually. Is that why? Well, I'll give, I'm giving you the first choice this week so you can pick whatever you want. Make it a good one. Um, I think I'm going to go for the rivet, the first rivet. Okay. Why? Because I think that's when they realised that there there was something to be found here, something um, that's much older than originally they presumed. Yeah. And that it shows that there's something big there and, you know, you wouldn't have rivets for, you know, anything small, really, would you? No, exactly. Interesting. Well, I'm in two minds. I'm actually probably in three minds. I'm very tempted to go for Basil Brown. You are a, you do like the people. You do do like like picking the people. people. There's a lot of people on the pedestal for you. I'm a people person. You are a people person. Um, I'm more of a rivet girl. (laughs) Rivet and dog poo. (laughs) Yes, my chap is a very lucky man. If anyone doesn't know what that refers to, go back and listen to the one on the leather train. Oh my God. Yeah, please do. um yeah am I allowed to go for Basil yeah of course you can you can go for Basil yeah I'm I'm gonna go for Basil and I think I really warmed him when I read that diary entry Mm. just about how generous he was and I just love the fact that there's a guy who well I've kind of said it already that he was he self-trained self-taught and properly knew his stuff so when he found that rivet of Mm -hmm. which you speak Mm -hmm. (laughs) to leave it there he knew what to do um and I I kind of I love this guy I love this image of this guy who is so just quietly confident in what he knows Mm. and believes in what he knows and knows kind of he you know he's the crux of it he's he's the heart behind the sort of I guess the, the 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 Otherwise, what what can sometimes be a bit cold museum style mm. um, display of things? I love that he's he's in there. He's got his hands in the dirt. He's finding these things. He's realizing what they are, and it means something to him. Like it means a big deal as he's hauling these things out of the earth, and he's done it from the sweat of his brow. That's very true. Very well said. And I think, like as you said, it's. It has that kind of um, just wholesomeness that you need with a dig yeah. like this, because if you are essentially, well, you are really going through somebody's grave. Yeah. 
uh, you know, digging up the past, it's it's a delicate so a thing, isn't it? There, a, that's the word, respectfulness. Yeah. And I think that Basil certainly, certainly had that. Yeah, I think but that. if he didn't find the rivet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the rivet oh. is incredibly important. Yes. So um, there you go, guys. There we go. Those are your options. So you can either email us at lady. No, hang on. Lady, what is it? Oh, what is it? Ladieslondon at gmail.com. That's what it is. Lovely. Um, or we put the polls up on Sunday on my Instagram at tourguide.alex, on Emily's, which is at guide Emily, or at Ladies Who London podcast, which has got its own separate one. Yes, there we go. On. You can vote three times if you like. Yeah, if you want to, that'd be great. All for me. All for me. <laughs> <laughs> Free on the rivets. Great. Amazing. <laughs> Lovely. Right, well, we rock it on. What have you? What are you up to? What have you got? What have I got coming up? Um, so I have got a couple of virtual tours. Woo-hoo. I've got another Dark Side of London virtual tour, which is uh, a week. Uh, oh, no, it's this coming Sunday. It's this coming Sunday, which is the 8th. Oh, fab, yeah. And that's at 7 o'clock, £10 per person. I'm all done. Um, And I've got another, I've got my pub tour, my Thames pub path. Oh, oh God. Yeah. Wait, hang on, I said that wrong. <laughs> My Thames Path Pub Crawl, uh, which is on the 12th of February, also at seven o'clock. And um, both of them can be booked at the London Tour Group. So the LondonTourGroup.com. Fab. Brilliant. Um, well, I lied to you last week and I'm really sorry. Um, so massive apology from my friend. I said that there was um, a, a poll up for you to decide what the next virtual tours were. I said that in advance of having done it and then I didn't do it. So <laughs> it is now up. It is Yay! on my Instagram stories. Um, there are eight options for you to pick from. I'm gonna, we're going to do the top four. Although, to be honest, the votes are pretty even right now. So I may end up doing eight. Oh, well, no, uh, we'll have to, have to see. So you can go either if it's out of my stories, when uh, you come to look at it, there is a link on my website. You can go through to my links on my website. Um, and it's also on my Facebook um, page for my guiding as well, which is uh, London Tour Guide Alex Lacey. So look up there and you can then vote on that and let me know what you fancy doing. The options are Notting Hill. Uh, I'm doing a pub crawl as well, but historic pubs, so not quite the same. Um London's Menagerie, so London's famous animal inhabitants, Greenwich, Ooh, the East that. End, immigration and multiculturalism, St. James, which is all kind of fashion and royalty, um, the Olympic Park, the legacy of the Olympic Games, and slavery in the city. Those are your eight options. Brilliant. Come and favourite four, and we'll do them. Um, I'm also possibly going to do another live virtual tour, because there seems to be a bit of appetite for that. So I'm looking at doing a kind of a London by night, like a London Illuminations one. Mm. Um, keep your eyes peeled for that because I think uh, I'm going to launch that at some point. The Tudor Puzzle Box is still going and is still great fun. Here's a great thing. If you want to do something for Valentine's, come and do the Tudor Escape Box or do a virtual tour with me or Emily. Because, I mean, let's face it, we've got to think of something creative this year, haven't we? have got to do something. I hate oh. Valentine's Day, but if you're going to do it, do it with me. <laughs> that reminds me, actually, I do need to talk about my Valentine's Day virtual, Ooh. which um, is free and it's for the London Tour Group. It's at four to five. Um, so sexy you could time. do sexy time sexy time so you could do that and then afterwards do alex's tudor puzzle yeah brilliant have a day of it have a day of it yeah come and unlock her and i say i say tudor puzzle you don't need to know anything about the tudors i've just loosely themed it around that because i'm staying on brand basically an escape room <laughs> that's all it is come and do an escape room with me <laughs> loosely brilliant. based around the tudors <laughs> excellent the wheel of destiny so it's your right time of the week Favourite time of the week. Are you ready for the wheel, Alex? Oh, I'm always ready for the wheel. Oh, Can I'm... you handle the wheel? <laughs> <laughs> you can't handle the wheel. Um, you can't handle the wheel. I mean, I, I am delighted every time the wheel is brought out. <laughs> I mean, not quite as delighted as you, it must be said. Oh, I'm always delighted. Now we gave you that job because it it's given you the most joy in 2020 and 2021. It really, it really, really has. Um, Have you got any, uh, any plans, any, any hopes and dreams for where it's going to land? Um, so I'd quite like maybe to talk about North London. I'd quite like maybe to go over to Highgate or... Have we had I Greenwich yet? We, we haven't had a Greenwich. We've given up on Greenwich. No, we haven't had a Greenwich. Haven't had a Greenwich. Um, yeah, maybe kind of... We've been around Mayfair, like a Soho. 
I don't think we've Is been to Soho, have, have we? A while, have we? No. Tipping Westminster again. We've done that today. Yeah. Go well, on. here we go. Whoosh. It is the wheel of destiny. It's out of our hands. <laughs> but on my finger. Right. Off we go. And it, oh, oh, it's just flown past Greenwich. <laughs> Yay. Well, I said Soho. It hasn't actually landed in Soho. Oh. But it has landed in Leicester Square. Oh, okay. Okay, that's, that's good. Okay, in terms, well, Leicester Square, I mean, it's pretty much the stage of London, isn't it? Mm. Cinemas, entertainment. Um, Handprints. I, do you know, I think I might, um, I think how Leicester Square came to be, I think I might just do the history of Leicester Square and how it became a place known for entertainment. Yeah, great idea. Yeah. Okay, the history of Leicester Square. I think I'll go with that. Leicester Square. Leicester Square. Oh, Wonderbar. Great. I look forward to that next week. Hooray. Lovely. Well, thank you so much, Em. Thank you so much, Alex. Lovely to see you. you um, and we should also give a shout out to um, uh, Ben Morales Frost, who don't forget is doing his uh, amazing musical, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. And they've now got mm. a website. So go to TSA Musical. Dot com who are going to be live streaming uh from like a week or two from now uh, for a couple of weeks so go and have a look because it's gonna be great i'm looking forward to it fantastic <laughs> hang on that's the doorbell someone at your door yeah oh my god get him on the pod i'm currently looking at alex's kitchen right now and she's got a box open looks like there's quite a lot going on in her kitchen she's got about five um oven mitts i mean why so many oven mitts we ask ourselves all right i'm back um <laughs> don't diss my oven mitts <laughs> so that is it for this week uh thank you all oh, for coming thank along you please like and subscribe and rate us on itunes store or wherever you get your podcast from yeah it helps other people find us and let's everybody know how amazing we are. We and love please you. also keep on voting on our podcast pedestals. Yes. yes. Give me a win. She's <laughs> 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 That's it from us for this week. Thank you so much. Go and watch The Dig. Let us yeah. know. Come and have a chat Go on Instagram or drop us yeah. an email. Let us know what you think of the film. And we'll see you next week for Leicester Square. See you next week, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.